Okay, so it is important that you understand who you are. You've been called out of darkness into God's amazing light. And God just didn't call you out of darkness, but he stamped upon Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. On your heart that you are chosen. You are given you have been given a purpose. You've been given a plan that God had prepared for your life long before he even created the earth. He knew about you. He knew about what he was going to do with your life and the impact that you would have here on earth. And sometimes, you know, um, you know, things can happen, storms can come. And I want to be the kind of person that can stand in that and still lift up God and still glorify God that when I stand before him in heaven that he will say to me well done you did well it's really really important that we get this this morning that you have a purpose on your life you are called by God to do something incredible for him and so if you turn with me to Matthew 16 this is the scripture that this whole series is based on And um, it's Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of... I hate it when they have these really big words. And it's probably not really that big, because actually when you're sitting there, you can pronounce it, but when you're up here, it just looks like another language. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So in this scripture, God, Jesus isn't concerned about what, who people say he is. He's not actually concerned about that at all. What he's concerned about is where people's hearts are towards him. That's the thing in this scripture that he's saying, but who do you say that I am in your life? And, um, you know, Jesus, I remember a long, long time ago um, when we had a revival uh, that broke out in Sky. And uh, it broke out and there was revivals happening for a long, long time. And one thing that caused that revival to break out was the hearts of the people. And how close you walk with God, how holy your heart is, will determine how close you can walk with him. You know, some people, some people, you know, on a Sunday they come to church and they do church. And then they go out and Monday to Saturday it's not too Christian-like living. Now I'm not saying that you know, to anyone in particular. But as a church, we do. We fail in our week. We do. We all do it. And uh, depending on how holy we keep ourselves, how clean we keep our hearts, determines how close God will be to us. And so today, my message is on the bride. 
um, my message is called This is the Bride, This is Me. And so obviously when I was preparing my message I thought about my wedding day, the stress of that day. <laughs> the stress of that day I remember sitting thinking somebody said to me Ruth enjoy your wedding day make sure you enjoy it make sure you enjoy it so I woke up in the morning at 5 o'clock in a sweat thinking I'm getting married at 1 o'clock and I was determined I was going to enjoy my day and the only thing that I could think was the only thing I could think was what will the hairdressers be like with, with our hair how will they do our hair will it be okay so I was stressed about that and then I had to walk down the aisle and say my vows and every girl knows and probably every guy knows that when you say your vows you really don't want to slip up and so I was stressed about that and then we had the lunch and the lunch was fine but then during the lunch I thought oh my goodness the band isn't here and I was stressed about that and so um, but the one thing that I do remember is the day that Brian proposed and I remember the lead up to that day and we had gone down to Glasgow to pick an engagement ring and we were down in Glasgow and we were going around all these shops and we picked, um, we picked the engagement ring and we both really, really loved it and that was perfect. And then he said, now I'm going to take this away and I'll propose to you when I think the right time is to propose to you, kind of thing. So I was there and I was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And weeks were going by and I knew he had this ring and it was just horrendous. And then this one particular night I phoned him up and I said, Brian, when are you going to propose to me? And... Um, and he said, when the time is right, Ruth, I will propose to you. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, right, okay. So then he said to me, he phoned me up this night and he said, I'm coming over to see you tonight. And I said, well, you better take that ring with you. <laughs> and, and, and so he walked in the door of the flat and couldn't see a ring. And I'm looking at him thinking, oh, please, this is going to send me right over the edge. And then he turned round and he had the, like, it was still in the bag that it came in this, and it was stuffed up his back and he had like this bump at his back. And I was like, yeah tonight is the night and I remember that moment and I, and I thought to myself right okay I thought to myself right we'll go into the living room and I, you know it's like some people you know get proposed to on a mountain or you know a beach or mine was my living room but so anyway we're there and um, he got down on one knee and he proposed and for you men out there that are married you remember the nerves of that moment you remember planning that moment in your head, what you might say, what you might do, all that kind of thing. You remember the nerves. And, uh, and for women, we remember the joy. We remember the joy of that moment. That moment when you put the ring you know, on your finger and then everything is done with this hand. You know, you kind of, you know, you hand money over to a till and it's done with this hand. And you scratch your head in public and it's done with this hand. And uh, I remember going to work and uh, I didn't realise that I was doing that so much. And one of the employees at work said, so you got engaged then, Ruth? And I said, well, yeah, I did. How did you know? And he said, because everything you do, you are doing it with this hand. <laughs> and, um, but so I, I did, I got... I, I was very proud of, of that moment and anyone else out there that's married would be proud of that moment but it got me thinking about the bride of Christ and how we are in preparation time for meeting God we're in preparation time for those last days when we all stand before God as his bride and uh, you know if you were to look at the heart of God right now when you think about that excitement when your husband proposed to you or wives or maybe you've still got it to come and and it's exciting just thinking of what will my husband be like what will my wife be like all that kind of thing 
if you multiply all of those feelings by billions and billions and billions and billions, you wouldn't even touch the hugeness of God's heart towards you and towards us as his church, as his bride. You think about how much you love your husband, how much you love your wife. You're not even touching the hugeness of God's heart towards you. So in Matthew, um, in fact, what, I, what I'd like to do just now is I want to tell you where I've come from. And um, when I came down to Aberdeen, I, was, I had been living on the Isle of Skye for uh, 18 years. And I had had a, a, quite a rough deal on Skye. Um, and life hadn't treated me especially nice. But I came down here and I was, I was pretty broken. I was kind of a, quite messed up. And I walked into the church. And when I walked into the church, I made this decision in my heart, God, I want to find you here in this place because I know that you're bigger than what I've already experienced. And so I made this decision in my heart, God, whatever I have to do, I'm going to find you. And I'm going to let you work in my heart. And I'm going to let you build me to be the person that you've called me to be, to, the, to be the person that you planted purpose on. And so I walked into church and I was here probably for, you know, the first like 10 years, maybe more than that. And I was really dealing with the stuff. And it wasn't easy and it wasn't nice. And there were some hard lessons that I had to learn about myself. And, um, but, you know, I allowed God and I stood firm and I just thought, God, you know what? I can't go back. I need to find you right here in this place. And I want to encourage you in this series to determine within your heart that you're going to find God in it. You're going to find God in this next few weeks in church. That you're going to allow him to work so hard in your heart that even when it's painful, you're still unmoved, unshakable, trusting God with your life. Um, The church of God is never ever going to fail. It's never, ever going to just disappear. It's never going to just vanish off the planet of the earth. There are 3.7 million churches worldwide over that, right across the world. Now, that is a pretty big bride. That's a pretty huge bride that God has to get ready for himself. And uh, it, it's pretty massive. And the church, is, it, it's, the world is covered by millions and millions and millions of Christians. And in Matthew chapter 16... Have I read that already? Yes, I have. Okay. So, the church is a big bride, and before every wedding, there is preparation time. There is a preparation time. When we got married, we had to prepare for the church. We had to prepare for the photographer. We had to prepare the dresses. We had to prepare kilt hires, stag nights, uh, hen nights, uh, favours. There's much to do. And uh, after the wedding... The only memory that you have left is your wedding album or maybe your DVD player to look back and actually see the pictures. Not the DVD player, the actual DVD. Um, But you have your wedding album. And I wonder if, if we were to look back at the wedding album, at the pictures of the Bride of Christ, what that album would look like. When we come before God and we stand before him as his bride, what's that album going to look like when we're in eternity? When we look back and we give that account of life here on earth. What is it going to look like? um, Preparation is a very important thing, and without it, there's no wedding. Without it, there's no wedding, because you have to prepare for it. And so your freedom 
Everything that you are, everything that you have is in the preparation time. Everything that you're going to do in the future is in this preparation time right now. I, um, I, some of us go through a really long preparation time. We are here on the, on the planet and the whole time we are here we are preparing to meet our bride. It will never, ever, ever stop. But how important is that preparation time to you? Because one day, as the bride of Christ, we will stand before him and we, we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. And um, so us as the bride, now I know that there's some people in here this morning and it's your first time in church and you've never, ever maybe heard what the bride is or ever heard about a bride or anything like that Um, and the bride is the church of Christ and um, when a bride gets married when a bride walks down the aisle to her husband she's beautiful she's always stunning she's always lovely you remember your wedding day always generous always caring always confident always secure always beautiful and always happy But the bride of Christ is more than this. And I want to take you on a journey this morning where you can discover what it is, who it is that God says you are. Who it is as the body of Christ that God says that we are in the house this morning. Are you with me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 to 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present himself, her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So God is looking for a spotless, bla- spotless bride. <laughs> bride. Bride. And the bride of Christ is this. This is what... God says the bride of Christ is. She is radiant. She is stunning. She is strong. She is pure. She is holy. She is righteous. She is faithful. She is bold. She is kind. She is wise. She is understanding. She is unique. She is without blemish. And she is perfect. And this morning I'm going to take you to the story of Rebecca. Rebecca in the Bible, um, I love this story because I love this girl. Um, her heart is, is beautiful. And uh, just to brief the first part of the story for you, Abraham, who was living in, in Canaan, was, um, was uh, the father to Isaac. And basically what he wanted was he wanted a bride for Isaac. And he said to his servant, I want you to take ten of my camels... And I want you to go and find a bride for Isaac. So the servant said, okay, I will go. I will do that. And Abraham said, I will, the Holy Spirit will go with you. The Holy Spirit is with you on this journey and he will guide you in the right direction. So um, the servant goes with the 10 camels. And if we start at Genesis chapter 24. Now Abraham... um, had said to the servant to go back to his home country. He wanted one of his own people to marry his son, Isaac. And the servant got there and he stopped at a well because he knew that when he stopped at the well at night time, that's when the girls from the village came to fill up the pitchers that they had 
and um, he knew that he would probably meet somebody there. So he said to the Holy Spirit, he said to God, show me which one is right for Isaac. So let's start reading from verse 12. Then he said, O Lord God, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman, to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink, let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know, by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Micah, and the wife of Nahor, I think. Abraham's brother came out with her picture on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And, then, and when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to drink, to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's daughter, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. So here you have the servant and he's gone and all he said to the Holy Spirit was just let me ask that girl, whoever it is, for a drink and if she gives me a drink I will know that that is the one. But then when she came along he did something even more because what he did was he then uh, enlarged the question that he was asking her and he said can I stay? Can I stay and can my camels come and rest where you live? And she said yes, yes, of course they can. Now, in the story, it says that when he was looking for the drink, that Rebecca began to run around. She began to run around trying to get enough water for him, enough water for the camels. And she was hard at work because 10 camels to, to get water for is a lot of work. And she didn't complain in that work. Out of the kindness and the goodness of her heart, she just did it. And so um, then he said, you know, can, can we come, can we lodge with you? And she said, yes, of course you can. Opened her door and let him lodge. Now, the story goes on that in the morning, the family didn't want to let go of Rebecca. And um, they had said to the servant, they had said, listen, we need to go and ask her if she actually wants to go with you. And so the, the family went to Rebecca and said, do you actually want to go? And she said, yes, I do want to go. In the story, there was the there was the point where he handed her bracelets and a nose ring. And that is an obvious sign in those times that there is a, an agreement taking place. It's not just that he was saying thank you with jewellery, but there was an agreement taking place there in that moment. And so Rebecca said, yes, yes, I'm going to go. Now, earlier on in the story, Rebecca's life wasn't that easy. Rebecca had actually had quite a hard life. 
What is beautiful about this story when you read it is that all the things that had happened to Rebecca in her life um, had shaped her character. She was still kind. She was still loving. She was still doing the work of God. And she was beautiful because of it. And so, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the servant found a wife. The servant found a wife for Isaac. And there are times in our lives that the Holy Spirit is going to cause you to make a decision. And that decision is going to be the decision that determines your destiny. That decision is going to be the decision that changes your life completely. It's, um, it's not even that, you know, down the road I think sometimes we think it's going to be quite easy. Some For some of us, probably for most of us, there are going to be some tough decisions to make. Your, your decision is key. Your decision is key to everything that you say and do in life because it will determine your destiny. And so, um, Rebecca, in the story, she was described as being very, very beautiful. She was a very, very hard worker. And I, I want to take some keys from her life because she was such a beautiful girl that went through a hard time, but she achieved her destiny and she walked in it. The first thing that I want to say to you this morning is don't expect to receive, but give and expect nothing in return. Rebecca, this man came along and asked Rebecca, I need your help. And Rebecca didn't say, what's in it for me? Rebecca said, that's fine. I'm here. I will help you. She ran around. She got the water for the camels. She gave him a room to sleep. She got water from him. And she never asked for anything. In Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40, it says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So God requires that we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul and with all of our mind. With everything that we are, God wants you. He has a perfect plan, a perfect destiny for you. I was watching a programme last night and it was about uh, uh, space and the galaxies and things. And my mum is really, really interested in all of that stuff. She, she wants to see the northern lights and she's never seen them. And she's just, she loves all that kind of thing. And I'm watching this program and I'm looking at the hugeness of the planets and, and how tiny Earth is. In comparison to the sun, the Earth is like this little spe- like speck in the atmosphere. It's It's nothing. And I I stood there looking at this picture and in my heart, I suddenly realized that even in all of the galaxies and all of the hugeness of the planets and everything else, God sees you. He sees you. He looks down amongst everything and he sees you. He sees your heart. He sees your life. He sees your concerns. He sees your worries. He sees the things that you're dealing with. He sees you. Right here, right now in this room, God looks down and he sees you. He sees you and everything that is going on in your life. And he cares about you because he created you for his pleasure. And um, Rebecca, Rebecca was, she was a very, very godly woman. Every decision that she made opened a door. Every, de- every decision that she made in her life opened a door to destiny. And 
the, the greatest investment that you can make for your life is that you allow life to shape you that you, might achieve, that you might achieve your destiny. The greatest investment that you can make in your life is to have a godly character. Yeah. That's the greatest investment for you. There's nothing else that any of us can do. Sometimes you can look at life and think, this is tough, or this is amazing. The greatest investment that you can make for everything is to have a godly character. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. It says, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So let the word of God remould your life. It's in seeking God that you're going to find fulfillment. It's in seeking God in everything that you will find yourself to be completely fulfilled. In Matthew it says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything you need will be added to your life. So as the fruit of the Spirit takes root in your life, so shall the favour of God flow. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. The fruits of the Spirit are this. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Okay, so the fruits of the Spirit are all of these things. And the Bible says that we will be known for the fruit. We will be known for the fruit that flows out of our life. Now, I completely believe that as we walk in the fruits of the Spirit and as we do life... That God, that, that we are set apart. We are different to people on Union Street. We are different to people in our city because we carry something of great worth. I remember um, walking into Marks and Spencers. It was about, oh, I don't know how long ago. But I walked into Marks and Spencers. It was actually not long after I had had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And my spirit had come alive. And I was just really beginning to discover who the Holy Spirit was. And um, I walked into Marks and Spencer's and I met this girl that I knew. And she went, Ruth, what is with you look different? And she said, your eyes are really bright. She said, you, what, what is it? And I said, well, it's not mascara. <laughs> and it's not moisturizer. But it's the presence of God because I had had this amazing encounter. The Holy Spirit is so huge. The Holy Spirit is so massive. He has such a great plan for your life. And he wants to do life with you. He wants to do life with you. If you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. Turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 10. In fact, you don't have to if you don't want to because it's quite short. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. When I was a little girl, many of you know this story, I had... Uh, I was the youngest of four, do four girls. Um, I know that there's a girl in here with six girls. I take my hat off to you. Four was a bit of a handful for my parents. But I, w I grew up the youngest of four girls. And I remember uh, being very aware of my mum and dad's passion for the Holy Spirit. 
And I remember uh, the house was just always open. You know, drunk people would knock on the door and come in and Dad would just kind of sit with them and talk to them about God and all kinds of people were coming to the door and the door was always open. And uh, missionaries came and they stayed and Mum prepared food and they paid for it all out of their own pocket and they worked really hard to build the church. They worked really hard for the Isle of Skye. And um, I remember this being my example. And I remember this, um, this one night. And um, I was at home and I was about the age of six. And I remember wakening up in the middle of the night. And, I, you know, I don't know if it was an angel or what it was. But I remember what felt like the presence of God in my room. And the presence of God spoke to me and said, Ruth, I will always be with you. Even as a child, I am here with you. And that was it at the age of six, and I fell back to sleep again. I didn't know the journey that I was going to go down from there on. I didn't know what life had in store for me. But um, then, when I was probably about 14, revival hit. And I remember the revival hitting the island, and I remember the just the whispering, the talking, the, the buzz that was going on in the village about what God was doing. And the church was packed out. The, the aisles were full. There was overflow into the church hall. People were standing out. It was huge. And I remember thinking, oh, something is going on here. I can feel it in the atmosphere, even just as a little girl. And um, I remember uh, when revival hit the, our house. And I remember Jesus literally being in her, our house and the presence being there. And what I realized from that revival was not that there was anything significant standing out as to why God had moved. All I knew was that their hearts were so hungry. That's all it was. It was nothing else. It, there was no instruments in the church. It was hymns. It was psalms. It was, there was nothing. But their hearts were really, really, really hungry. And so God looks at the heart and God looks at where your heart is to determine how far he can move in your life, to determine how much he can make himself, reveal himself to you. God is looking at our heart this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 to 8. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So here we are on earth. And I want to just really quickly get this out there to you. Sometimes life can handle you a rough deal. Sometimes life, sometimes life can be really tough. Sometimes there are things that happen that are really tough. There are times that you can't help a situation, you can't help what's going on, but it's tough. And God has got you right there in that for that moment, for whatever reason. God is shaping your character. So he can make you ready for that time that we all stand before him. God is looking for a really beautiful bride. 
I, um, my dad, mum and dad had a missionary in uh, the house just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, this missionary has spoken on the God Channel a few times and has spoken in some quite big churches around the world. And he's very interested in end time stuff. And um, he was sharing with mum and dad about all the stuff that he's discovered. And he was speaking about nuclear weapons that are being developed. And uh, the nuclear weapons, let me get this right, are being developed in Iran, I think. And it's all to do with Israel. It's all to do with the kind of wiping out of Israel. And the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about the end times and the war and everything. He spoke about how close we are to these nuclear weapons being finished. And if I can say it this morning, let me say to you that we are in the final days. We are in the end days. The, the coming of Jesus is so close that it's, it's, it's close. It's closer than, you know, obviously Jesus doesn't reveal it until he appears in the sky, but the end times are very, very close. I want to encourage you, use every moment to sharpen your character and make yourself ready so that when Jesus comes back, you can stand before him spotless and say, I did it. I did everything that I could. I stood in the storm and I didn't move, but I'm here for you. And that's what this is all about. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And I'm going to start finishing off here. Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there, be enough, lest there should be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour to which the Son of Man is coming. <laughs>